Bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father Yahweh, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of the day. We pray that what we do within this life would be pleasing to you, that we would strive to live according to your ways, to devote our days to you, never deviating to the right or left, but always staying on that middle road, the road that you have defined within your word. Father, we pray for your blessings upon this ministry. We pray for your blessings upon those here. We pray for your blessings upon those faithfully watching and living your truth. And Father, we pray that your favor and provision would always be here and again amongst those worshiping you in spirit and truth. Father, we thank you and we also pray for those seeking healing today, that your healing would come down and restore them to health. And Father, we thank you now for all things, and we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Amen. I'd like to um, welcome everybody here and extend a greetings to those online. Again, it's always kind of an incredible thing when you think that we have folks from Africa and the UK and other places throughout the world watching, along with many folks um, nationally watching. You know, in a world that continues to slip further into sin, as believers, we have a choice to make. And that choice is whether we will remain true to the calling that we've all received or deny the potential gift that we've all been given. Living for Yahweh in this day and age is not easy. We know that. So many of the values we find within the word are under attack. We are living in a time when evil is called good and good is called evil. And we can see that in the news and the opposition we receive as believers. Examples of this include homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism. And it's the praise of these sins, along with many other forms of immorality that we find within the truth. Things are becoming worse. We are seeing a collapse in the ethics and the values that our grandparents understood in their generation, or that day is very different from what we see in this day and age. The truth is we have many more challenges for, from those just a few generations back, and this is especially true for the young people. My heart goes out to the young people today. I want to spend some time talking to the young people today within this message My message, as you can see here on the slide, is entitled, Life Decisions. Life Decisions. As human beings, Yahweh has given us free will. He's given us free will to choose what we will do in this life. Free will to choose what we will do and what we will follow. We can follow him, or we can choose to reject him. But he's given us free will to choose one or the other. But the choice is ours. But listen, there are consequences to our choice. There are consequences to the decisions we make, to the life decisions we make. There are consequences to those choices. If we choose to live a life of sin, there are consequences to that choice. I can't tell you as a minister how many people I've spoken to over the years, and I've heard horrible situations, horrible situations. And in many cases... These situations could have been avoided entirely if they would have simply followed Yahweh's word. But they did not. 
and now they're living the consequences of those decisions. Examples of this include being sexually active outside of marriage as a result of having children. Other examples might be bad judgment in relationships, again, losing those relationships, or taking drugs and falling into an abyss that is nearly impossible and insurmountable to remove and resolve. The simple truth is when we follow and obey our Father in heaven, we will have a better life. That is the simple truth of the matter. When we follow and obey the one we worship, we will have a better life. And that's something I want to impress upon, especially the young people in this room, those in their teens and early 20s. When we're young, we often don't think of long-term consequences. We don't look beyond where we're at today. As we get older, we begin to look beyond where we're at today. Somebody in their mid-40s, I can now look beyond where I am today, and I can see even the day that I will not be here. But again, young people don't think this way. Many of the decisions we make today will set the pattern for many years to come. And I want to, again, impress upon the young people of that message because it's so simple. It's such an easy message to understand, but we take it for granted. What we do today will determine the path we take for many, many years I want to share with you some of the current trends we're seeing in religion in this day and age. Here's part of an article showing how religion is declining within this nation. It says, an analysis of religious trends from 1981 to 2007 in 49 countries containing 60% of the world's population, so the majority, did not find a global resurgence of religion. Most high-income countries were becoming less religious. Notice high-income However, it did show that in 33 of the 49 countries studied, people had become more religious. But, it says, since 2007, things have changed with surprising speed. From 2007 to 2020, an overwhelming majority, 43 of the 49 of these same countries, became less religious. This decline, in brief, is strongest in high-income countries, but is evident across most of the world. We see a very concerning decline in religion, not only here in this nation, but also most of the world, 60% of the world population, according to the study. As we see here, this is especially true for high-income countries, which would obviously include this nation. We are a very high-income country. We are very prosperous. Now, why do you suppose this impacts high-income or wealthy countries. Most often, when we have more money, when we have more resources, we depend less upon Yahweh. That is a fact. Now, that doesn't mean that's true for everybody, but that does hold true for the majority. When we have wealth, when we have abundance, we depend less upon Yahweh. In fact, we find a warning in the Torah. We see in the Torah, Yahweh says, when you become prosperous, don't forget about me. When you become wealthy as a nation, don't forget about me. And we know this is precisely what happened. As Israel became wealthy, they forgot about Yahweh, and eventually they were taken into Babylonian and Assyrian captivity for their sin and negligence. For those who know something about the Laodicean assembly, you know that the city of Laodicea was wealthy. It was a merchant town. 
And I believe this was the main reason why this assembly was lukewarm in their worship. This is why they were reprimanded. They were a wealthy city. They were rich, literally. They were wealthy. For those of us who have moderate amounts of wealth, I would caution us of not losing focus on what really matters. It is so easy to do when we have abundance, when we have wealth. We can depend upon us and not upon our Father in heaven. Let's not lose focus and not, let's not become apathetic to the truth of our Father. Now we also see here that religion is not only declining, but is declining at an alarming rate. I'm sure many of us are shocked at how quickly this nation has degraded morally, ethically. So many of the politicians that we would have considered liberal just 15 years ago would now be considered moderate, if not conservative. Even Barack Obama was once against homosexual marriage. Or today, if you speak out against homosexual marriage, you're labeled a homophobe and intolerant. And yet, just again, a few years back, a very liberal president was against homosexual marriage. This trend is especially hard for today's young people. I found out recently from a conservative school board member, try to stay fairly active on what's happening in the school board, but he informed me that some of the teachers within the high school was asking students which pronouns they wanted to use whether he wanted to be considered a she, or she wanted to be considered a he. Keep in mind that we live in a fairly conservative area. Jefferson City is a very conservative area. But even here, we are not untouched by this liberalism, by this defiance to Yahweh's word. I want to share with you a few statistics showing this overall decline in religion. All the information here is from the Barna Group. According to their website, the Barna Group is a private, nonpartisan, for-profit organization under the umbrella of the Issachar Companies. So here's what it says about the state of religion. So here is three charts in total. How Americans relate to Christianity is changing. This is from 20 or 2000 to 2020. So you can see here, practicing Christian is the red line. You can see in 2020, or 2000, I should say, the 45%, which is even low, but 45% consider themselves Christianity, related to Christianity. Now that number is down to 25%. So the blue line here is non-practicing Christian. And, of course, we've seen an increase. So we, my eyes serve me right here. I think that's 35% in 2000. And... Now it is 43%. And the last line here is non-Christian, non-Christian. So 22% identified as non-Christian, now it is 32%. So these are not good trends. These are not positive trends. These are scary trends. We are seeing a decline of morality and a decline of Christianity and a decline in biblical religion in this nation like never before. Here's another chart. This is weekly church attendance. But 10% of all those here in this nation attended church weekly. But now that's dropped to 29%. So we've seen a, a very rapid decline in those who attend church weekly. And again, this is a very alarming trend for us. 
One more chart here. Again, this is weekly church attendance, but now breaks it out by generation. So let me, let's look at each generation here. So we have millennials. That is the red line. And millennial is born between 1984 and 1998. So in 2006, 32% attended. Now it's down to 25%. Not a huge decrease, but certainly not a positive trend. So we have the uh, Generation X. That is from 1965 and 1983. So Generation X was, uh, let's see here. It's kind of light. Well, I can't quite read that for whatever reason, but we've also seen a decline. Uh, baby boomers, again, baby boomers would be 1946 to 1964. We've seen a decline. I think that's 45%, I believe, and 37% now. And uh, elders, uh, this is uh, born before 1946, so 51%. So good, more than half, right over half attended church in uh, 2003 weekly. But now that's down to 37%. So even within the older generation, are we seeing a decline in church attendance? So again, these are very, very bad trends we are seeing in this nation. From these stats, we find again a very alarming trend in the state of Christianity within this country. As we see here, Christianity is quickly eroding, quickly eroding. And while we may have our doctrinal differences with Christianity. I believe that Christianity has been the single most positive influence upon this nation. Again, I know there's differences doctrinally, but Christianity has brought a sense of ethics and morality that was unheard of by other religions before it. And again, we're seeing a decline in Christianity and biblical values that were once the foundation of this nation Years when this founding, uh, this nation was founded, most were religious. Most believed in the Messiah. Most held very high biblical values. But we don't see that now. We see a very different trend. In the book of Revelation, we find a passage that says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and receive not of her plagues. That is from Revelation 18. The message we find within this passage is especially important in this day and age. As we see the ethics and morality decline within this nation, we are going to have to increasingly, I believe, remove ourselves from this world to understand that there's a difference between the ethics we see within this nation and the ethics we find within Yahweh's truth. And that is going to become more and more as time continues. For those of us older than probably 40, this is less of an issue. We have a stronger foundation, and frankly, we're just more set in our ways. And sometimes that's a good thing. But for those younger, especially those in their teens and, again, early 20s, they're going to experience pulls that many of us over that age group we've never had to deal with, we've never had to face. For this reason, I believe it's much harder, again, for the young young people to live according to Yahweh's truth, to live according to his word. Now, even though it's harder, it is certainly not impossible. And that's why I want to encourage the youth today, because it's not impossible. We can do it. We can live for our Father in heaven. We can live biblical values and morality. 
but we must rise to the challenge. For the young people here and for those who might be listening, watching, I want you to know that it's never too young. You're never too young to begin living for Yahweh. You're never too young to begin living for your Father in heaven. And believe me when I say the decisions we make now will follow us for many years to come, if not for life. I don't believe teenagers especially and young, again, young adults realize the pattern they set when they're very young, the decisions we make, whether we go to college or not. But most importantly, things like whether we're going to follow Yahweh or not, whether we're going to be part of an assembly. All of these decisions determine where we will go as we get older. And it's so important that we have an ethical, moral foundation and that we accept that, that we pursue that. It's so important that we apply and follow Yahweh's word. If you make good decisions, good things will happen. That's generally speaking. Some people get a bad hand. That's just the way life is. But generally speaking, if we make good decisions, good things will happen. But if we make bad decisions, guess what? Bad things will happen. It's not complicated. It's actually quite simple. But most people simply ignore that. Most people believe they know more than Yahweh. They know better. And they think that their current life is acceptable and that it will lead to success. I can't tell you how many people have been disappointed over the years when they've gone down a path that is not of Yahweh's word. They find out very quickly that they may have thought something, but they were wrong. And sometimes they dig themselves a ditch that they can't get out of. So it's important that we understand this. This is why Solomon in Ecclesiastes says to remember our creator in the days of our youth. He didn't say remember our creator as we get old. He said remember our creator, your creators, in, in the days of your youth when you're young. So many of the decisions, again, we make when we're young follow us throughout our life. I want to emphasize and encourage the young people here to make good decisions, to make good decisions. But most importantly, to always put Yahweh in the forefront of their lives. If we put Yahweh first, if we focus on him first, if we determine our actions in this life by what he says within his word, we will have success. Again, it's so simple. It is so simple. It is so simple. It is, but it's amazing how many deliberately turn away. They, they get pulled away in college. They get pulled away by liberal professors. They get pulled away by friends. They get pulled away at work. And they fall from Yahweh's word. Believe me when I say there's no life decision greater than the one we make when we follow Yahweh. Sometimes I wonder where I would have been if I would have made a different choice. I certainly see the pattern in my life and Yahweh kind of yanking me over to his will because it certainly wasn't because I was a great person or that's the aspiration I had. But Yahweh used me and I'm thankful for it. If you live for him, if you're a person of virtue, if you work hard, and that's another attribute I'm very strong with, a hard worker, you see, we've got to do something. We've got to put some effort into it. But if we live for him and we're a hard worker, we will succeed in this life. I want to share with you a few articles, a few excerpts, all focusing on the benefits of being religious. Now, this isn't any specific faith, 
But I think thought these statistics that they were good, and it shows the benefits of being religious. So first one here is actually from Psychology Today, believe it or not. But it brings out some great points in the article. So people who are religious are more likely to view themselves as, says capable and accomplished, having a high adherence to standards of conduct, having a high will to succeed, having high self-discipline and persistence, methodical and cautious, trustworthy and forgiving, helpful and unselfish. So these are benefits of being religious. Again, no religion in particular, just being religious. It's not hard to see why there's benefits here, why we are more self-disciplined, why we have more persistence, why we are more likely to succeed, or why we have a higher standard of conduct. You see, when you live biblical values and morality, we have these items. Where here's another article. This is from health.com. Five surprising health benefits of religion. Lower blood pressure. More life satisfaction. I definitely believe that's true. More resilience in the face of insurmountable odds. A healthier immune system. A longer life. So again, some very real benefits of being religious. So one last source here. This is from a benefit of .net. And a benefits of religion, it helps in spiritual growth, aids in better mental health, provides a medium for friendship, improves creative skills, improves a person's strength for adverse conditions. Religion helps to sympathize people in grief, improves the physical health. So from these articles, we find that there are many benefits to being religious, many benefits to being religious. And this is especially true when we follow our Father in heaven, Almighty Yahweh. Yahweh shows in his word that when we follow him, that when we pursue his truth, that we are going to have a greater level of satisfaction, a greater level of happiness. And why is that? It's actually quite simple. When we live according to Yahweh's ways, we have better relationships, we have healthier lifestyles, and we have a better overall satisfaction. You see, Yahweh knows everything. He knows what we should do. He knows how we should live for optimum happiness. And he's given us that blueprint within his word. He said, here, follow this. If you follow this, you're going to be happy. You're going to have satisfaction. You're going to be content. You're going to have a higher self of meaning of life. But again, if you don't follow me, you're not going to. And I can't tell you again the number of people I've spoken to over the years, and they dig themselves a position they they just simply can't dig out of. And if they would have simply followed Yahweh, they would not be in that situation they are now. If you live for him, if you're a person of virtue, again, if you work hard, I believe that you will succeed. I want to consider now some examples of how some believers had to give up everything for their faith in Yahweh. Look at four examples today. I want to begin with a man we, we all know, and that is Abraham. We're all familiar with Abraham. We're familiar with who he was, what he accomplished. We're even familiar with maybe some of his faults. But this was a great man. He was a phenomenal man. He had a great relationship with Yahweh. 
And he's certainly a pattern we should follow as believers. So I want to look at Genesis 12, and at 1 through 4, it says, Now Yahweh said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. So these are the promises that Abraham received. Yahweh told Abraham that if you do these things for me, if you leave and if you obey me, that I am going to bless you, that I am going to make your name great. Thus shall be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curses you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And of course, we know that that was ultimately through the birth of Yahshua the Messiah. But that's quite an amazing list of blessings. If you follow me, I will bless you in all these ways. Simply do it my way. Simply listen and obey my word. Simply don't deviate from what I tell you. And if you do these things, these things will happen. Going on, it says, so Abraham departed. He obeyed. As Yahweh had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. We see here that Abram, again, he would eventually be known as Abraham, father of a multitude, was told by Yahweh to leave his country and his family and travel to a strange land. Have you ever considered how hard it must have been for Abraham? How hard it must have been for him to, 75 years old, to leave everything he knew behind and go to a land and to a people he knew nothing about. I believe this must have been extremely hard for him. But nonetheless, we find here that he still departed and he still followed Yahweh's command. Now, what was the reason for Abraham leaving? Why did Yahweh tell Abraham to leave your country? Why did Yahweh tell Abraham to leave his family? Well, I believe Yahweh wanted to remove him from false worship, from the false worship that was around him. In Joshua 24, 2-3, we see that Abraham's father and grandfather worshipped false mighty ones. So Abraham did not come from a believing family, Not certainly not what we find from Scripture. According to scholarship, the people of the land worshipped the moon god. In the Akkadian tongue, believe it or not, the moon god was called Sin, S-I-N. That's the name of this deity. And that's the deity that the people of this land was worshipping. For this reason, Yahweh again told Abraham to leave that place, Ur of the Chaldees, and travel to a different land. Go somewhere without this false worship. Now, what is the lesson here for us? You know, there's always a lesson we find scripturally. Whenever I read a story, I like to look at how we can apply that story to us. What lesson do we glean from us? As Abraham had to come out of false worship, as believers, we must do the same. We must we must come out of false worship as believers. It's ironic that today marks the Xmas celebration, a day that is supposed to be about the Messiah, but is really about the S-U-N, the sun. In fact, three Roman festivals gave rise, essentially, to Christmas. Those were Saturnalia, Mithraism, and Sol Invictus, open, unconquered sun, all connected to S-U-N worship all connected to sun worship. 
Now, some of us, like Abraham, had to literally leave home and family to worship Yahweh in spirit and truth. I can look around and someone in this room had to leave where they were to find an assembly to worship with. Whatever we've done, whatever the cost, if the end goal was to come out of false worship and follow Yahweh, I'm telling you now, it was well worth it. If we left for the purpose of worshiping Yahweh in spirit and truth, I'm telling you that that sacrifice, that effort, that cost was well worth it. As believers like Abraham, are we willing to forsake everything for the one we worship? Are we willing to give up everything we have for Almighty Yahweh? Are we willing to forsake home, a family, friends, relationships, and careers maybe for the promise of Yahweh's kingdom? And again, I want our young people to consider and think about what I'm saying. I want our young people to consider their future and ask, what am I willing to do? What am I willing to give up? How far am I willing to go for the one I worship? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give up friends and family? Are we willing to give up those we care about for the truth of our Father in heaven? Now, we see another story, much like Abraham, this time in the story of Ruth. I'm going to share with you just part of the story here. Ruth 1, starting there in verse 11, it says, And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her mighty ones. So notice that she had gone back to her mighty ones that false worship. Keep in mind that these were both from Moab. They were Moabite women. It says, rather you after thy sister-in-law, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For whether you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and listen, and your Elohim, my Elohim. For me, this is an inspirational story. We find here that Naomi's two sons had died. Her husband died. She had nobody. She's telling her daughter-in-laws to leave, to go back home, to go back to the land of Moab. As many of you know, Naomi's daughter-in-laws were from the land of Moab, a descendant of Lot, the nephew of Abraham. Now, even though we see this family connection with Abraham, the Moabites weren't real favored by Israel. Let me read Deuteronomy 23.3. It says there, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh, even to their tenth generation, 
shall they not enter into the congregation of Yahweh forever. So we find here that the Moabites, again, were not exactly favored by the Israelites. And again, Ruth, we know, was a Moabite. She was a Moabite widow. So Naomi's, for this reason, is encouraging her, go, leave, like your sister, or not like your sister, like the daughter-in-law, the other daughter-in-law, leave. But she refused. She refused. We find here that Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, kissed Naomi and returned home. But we find a very different scenario for Ruth. Ruth embraced Naomi. Ruth embraced Naomi and told Naomi that her people and that her Elohim would be her own. I'm sure that Ruth knew that her decision would be not without hardship, being again a Moabite widow. It's not an Israelite widow, it's a Moabite widow. It's a very different scenario. But nonetheless, we find that she committed herself to Naomi. We, can, we see that also by extension she committed herself to the nation of Israel and to the worship of Almighty Yahweh. Now what happened after this point? I'm not going to read the entire story to you. We know that from the story that Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Eventually Ruth met a fairly wealthy man, but met a man named Boaz, which was a relative of Naomi. With that being the case, under the law of the kinsman redeemer, Boaz was able to take Ruth as his wife. Now, from the story, we also know that there was one person closer in relation. That's how that kinsman redeemer worked. But we know that he refused to marry Ruth. So, in the end, we find that Boaz married Ruth, and they had a son named Obed, which was the father of Jesse, which was the father of David, which gave birth to the line of Yahshua the Messiah. We find here that a Moabite widow went to Judah and would marry a man of Judah and give birth to a son, which would give birth to the Messiah. This is quite a story. Knowing what the Torah says about the Moabites, we find here that Ruth was blessed beyond measure. It was almost an impossible situation, I believe, for Ruth. Again, a Moabite widow, but we find here that she received favor because she clave it, says she embraced Naomi. She embraced Naomi's mighty one, almighty Yahweh. And because of that, she was blessed. But she had to give up everything. She gave up the hope of returning home, of finding a Moabite husband. She gave up everything for Naomi. And she was blessed tremendously for it. There's no doubt in my mind, that Ruth fully committed herself to Yahweh. And she was blessed for that. And like Abraham, again, she forsook everything, including her own people and her own homeland. It would have been much, much easier for her to simply say, you know, you're right. It's going to be easier if I just simply return home. But she claved to Naomi. Another person who showed incredible wisdom and commitment to Yahweh was Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 15, we find him making a declaration to follow Yahweh no matter what. 
Joshua 24, 15, it says, If it seem evil unto you to serve Yahweh, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the mighty ones which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the mighty ones of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. In many ways, I don't believe Joshua receives enough credit for what he accomplished throughout his life. Joshua was a great man. He was a great leader. In fact, we read in Judges that as long as Joshua was alive, that Israel was doing well. But as soon as Joshua died off and those elders who knew him, Israel went astray very quickly. So Joshua was a great leader. He kept kept Israel on the straight and narrow. He kept Israel in compliance to Yahweh's word. But again, after his death, we know that he went, Israel went very wayward. Joshua was a great man. He was a great leader. And the main reason for this is that he was completely devoted to the one he worshipped. Do we understand devotion of that nature? He was completely and fully devoted. No matter what those around him would do or what decisions they would make. And just as a side note, we will have relationships with people who make bad decisions. And we're going to have to either comply and follow suit, or we're going to have to say, no, I can't do that. And again, I especially want the youth to consider those words. But we know that he was fully committed. Do we have this same sense of loyalty and dedication as we find here from Joshua? Are we going to follow Yahweh irrespective of what our family or friends do? If they want to keep Christmas, fine. But are we going to support that by going and participating? Again, I want to emphasize for today's young people, as they have many, many pulls, there's many more, many more pulls they have that we will ever have. You know, if we think about Joshua's life, we can all remember the great things, again, this man accomplished. We know that he succeeded Moses as leader of Israel, and Moses was kind of a hard act to follow. And I think that's kind of one reason why people gloss over Joshua. But Joshua in his own right was a great leader, certainly a stronger leader in many ways. We know that through his courage and strength that he conquered much of the promised land, and that was not an easy feat. We can remember the stories of these giants, these people of enormous stature, And even the spies who were sent out to spy out the land, they came back and told Moses, they said, look, we just can't do it. These these people are huge. These people are great. There's no way we can win. There's no way we we can succeed against these great people. Of course, Joshua and Caleb said otherwise. Because, again, they had faith and courage in Yahweh. These other spies, they crumbled under the pressure. They saw the greatness of these nations within Canaan, and they said, we, we just can't do it. But not Joshua. This man showed incredible faith, incredible courage during his leadership. We also know that he had a faith and commitment to Yahweh second to none. There were very few that were more committed than Joshua. And again, it was because of this commitment that Israel remained true to Yahweh for 
his time over the Israelites. For all these who he would follow was never a choice because Yahweh was always number one. Yahweh was always his first focus. Yahweh was always his main priority. Can we say that as believers? In everything we do, in every action we make, in every decision we make, in every choice we make, can we say that Yahweh is number one? Can we say that he is the main reason and the main motivation for every decision we make? Unless I know there are some decisions that don't really relate in our relationship to Yahweh, but many do. And for those who do, can we honestly say we choose first what is right and what is true according to Yahweh's word? I'm sure if we thought about and would consider that, many of us would say no. Well, I would encourage you to look at today and look at this message as a renewed commitment, maybe, to consider this day as a day to, again, commit your life to your Father in heaven. I want to consider one more example. A man who, again, like Joshua, was fully committed, and a man who really accomplished insurmountable odds. So the man I'm speaking of is Eliyahu, or Elijah. And I want to turn to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 17. It says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Aren't you he that troubles Israel? Ahab and Elijah were not in on good speaking terms. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh. And you has followed Baalim or Balaam. So Elijah says, look, I'm not the problem here. I'm not the issue. I'm not the one causing the issues. I'll tell you who's causing the issues. You are causing the issues. And here's why you're causing the issues. You are not following Almighty Yahweh. That is the root of the issue here. Not me. It's you. It is amazing, though, how often that happens, by the way. Those who are in rebellion to Yahweh's word, they will be the first to point the finger at you, as we find here. His us followed Balaam, and therefore... Send now, it says, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of all 450 and the prophets of the grove or the Asherah. And I'm not going to go into that, but the Asherah is a very grotesque worship. 400, which eat at Jezebel's table, no surprise. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If Yahweh be Elohim, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. To say that Elijah and Eli here were on were, were, were enemies would be an understatement. Eli, or again Elijah, was a thorn in the side of King Ahab. As we know from the story, Ahab was... Not a good king. Ahab did evil in Yahweh's eyes, and really mostly because of the influence of Jezebel, something for the young men 
to keep in mind, don't go and marry a Jezebel. Here we find that they uh, would finally settle who was the true mighty one. Elijah told Ahab here to go and gather the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah, the grove, and, and come and meet him at Mount Carmel. And there they will determine who is the greatest. To accomplish this, they would offer a bull to both mighty ones and see which one would consume the sacrifice. Now, first up in the story, we know that the prophets Baal, they danced, they cut themselves, they did all kinds of horrible things and to hopefully motivate Baal to come down and, and consume this sacrifice. And, of course, we know all they did was to make a fool of themselves and nothing happened, nothing at all. Where after this, Elijah comes forth and actually pours water on the sacrifice. He wants no questions and then prays. And upon doing this, Yahweh poured out a great fire and he consumed, he consumed everything around that offering. And after this, the people of Israel pursued and killed the prophets of Baal. They realized who was greatest. And that was simple. That was almighty Yahweh. But it took this for the people to turn from their wicked ways. Now, going back to verse 21, Elijah asks the people, how long will you halt between two opinions? If Yahweh be Elohim, follow him. If Baal be Elohim, follow him. You choose. Yahweh's given us the same choice. You choose. I want to paraphrase this and ask it this way. How long will we dabble and be lukewarm in our faith? How long will we not follow Yahweh. How long will it be until we commit our lives to him? You know, as believers, we need to follow in the example of this great prophet of Yahweh. We need to follow in the, 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 the great accomplishments of this man, even though he was unpopular. And that's something to kind of keep in mind. It's not like Elijah was this popular guy. Nobody liked this man. He had to hide in the wilderness because he gave bad news. And he was chastising and reprimanding the people all the time. And they certainly did not find favor in his message. So he was not a popular man. He was not a man who people enjoyed being with. He faced opposition on all sides. But Yahweh was always his number one priority. Always. Like Elijah or Eliah, will we make this same commitment? Are we fully committed to the one we worship? Are we fully committed to our Father in heaven? As we know from the Laodicean, assembly being lukewarm or only going halfway is never enough. If we are lukewarm, Yahweh says in Revelation that he will spew or vomit us out of his mouth. There are so many people, even within the assembly, that is just, they're lukewarm. They're lukewarm. They kind of want to dabble. Maybe they like the, the social aspect. And the social aspect is good. But following Yahweh is better. And it's certainly more important. It is so important. Like these great examples, these great men and women, that we're willing to give up everything. That we're fully committed. That we always make Yahweh our main focus. 
Listen, we too can succeed in this life and even more important in the life to come if we walk this walk, if we choose, if we make the decision to follow in this path. There is not a greater calling. There is not a greater truth. There is not a greater promise than what we find in Yahweh's word. There just isn't. And again, speaking to the youth, it is so important that we understand this. But even beyond the youth, it's important that we all understand this. That we understand that no matter what we go through in this life, that Yahweh is number one. Yahweh is number one. So the question today is, what decision will we make? Will we decide to forsake everything if needed? And maybe it's not. But if needed, will we decide to forsake everything for Yahweh's truth, for the promise of Yahweh's kingdom? Believe me when I say that there are consequences to the choice we make. There are consequences to the decisions we make. If we make Yahweh our focus within this life, we are promised eternal life within his coming kingdom. If we choose to follow and live for this world, we will die with this world. It's not complicated. I'm telling you, people, they have a bad habit of complicating life. Life is not complicated. Not really. I mean, there's complicated situations, but you know, most often those complicated situations is because we complicate them through our own disobedience. It's quite simple. I want to close now with Matthew 6. One of my favorite passages, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where, listen, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to pause here for just a moment and I want you to ask yourself, where is your treasure? So just pause for just a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, where is my treasure? Just think about that for just a moment. So since you've had a moment just to consider that, to ponder that in your own mind, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Is your treasure here on earth or is it in heaven referring to the promise of Yahweh's kingdom? Yahshua shows here that for those who place their treasure on earth, in this world, that everything they have will someday perish and come to an end. That is the end result of living for this world. It will come to an end. If we live for this world, we will die and we will not be blessed with the promise of Yahweh's kingdom. In contrast, living for Yahweh and living for him will bring eternal life. There could not be a greater difference between living for the world and living for Yahweh. One brings death, one brings eternal life. One brings curses, one brings blessings. One brings good, one brings bad. There's not a greater difference, contrast between the two. In Deuteronomy, Yahweh told Israel to choose, to choose, to choose which way you will go, to choose how you will live life, to choose life over death, to choose good over evil. You choose. I'm a big proponent of free will. 
I believe that Yahweh has given us a very special gift to choose, to make our own decision. But just because he's given us a choice does not mean there's not consequences with that choice. There are major, major consequences with the choices we make in this life. This world is tempering will someday come to an end. And that time may be closer than what many realize. Again, I don't know when Yahshua's coming, but it may be close. We're certainly seeing a lot of signs in our day and age. And it's certainly not the time, as I say, to be spiritually asleep, to be spiritually negligent. We should be focused on Yahweh's kingdom now. You know, as I look around, the majority of this world have no desire, real desire to follow Yahweh. And again, this is even true within some within the assembly. We're here, we kind of go through the motions. But we, at best, might be lukewarm when we're not here. Listen, Yahweh knows everything we do. Yahweh knows what we do here. Yahweh knows what we do at home. Yahweh knows what we're thinking. Yahweh knows our behavior. Yahweh knows the words we're using. Yahweh knows how we're doing and engaging in our relationships. Yahweh knows how we're serving him. And if we choose to go in opposition to the one we worship, there will be consequences to be paid. Yahweh says that he is not mocked. We will not mock the one we worship. You know, as a minister, nothing would please me more than to see all those here and those listening, watching, to see them fully following Yahweh, fully putting their faith and trust in him. Again, especially our young people. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says again there that we're to remember our creator in the days of our youth. When we're young, we're to remember our creator. We shouldn't wait until we're old, but when we're young. For whatever reason, Yahweh placed within me a burning desire about 18 years old to follow him. I don't know why. I did pray, and I believe Yahweh answered a prayer, so I guess I know why, but, but it certainly wasn't deserving. But before that, I remember a friend of mine, best friend at the time, he uh, told me that I was going to marry an elder's daughter, 16 years old. And, uh, and I said, there's, there's no way, because when I'm 18 years old, I'm, I'm gone. Or I'm still here and I marry an elder's daughter. <laughs> now, the last name is different from what he projected, but it's still an elder's daughter. So... You just don't know what Yahweh's going to do, and you don't know what path you're going to take. But most importantly, if we follow Yahweh, it's going to be the right path, and he will show us where we should be. So I pray that this message is blessed you. I pray that it's given us a renewed focus to really pursue our Father in heaven, to, to fully commit our lives to him. And uh, with that, I certainly wish Yahweh's blessings upon each and every one here. And Yahweh bless.